Welcome to the Leaders Edge podcast. I'm Sandy Laycox, Editor-in-Chief of Leaders Edge. In this episode, I talk with Keith Schuler, CEO of Interwest and the Council's new board chair. We discuss his background and brokerage history, industry issues, as well as his focus as board chair. Give it a listen. I am here with Keith Schuler, um, Keith, CEO of Interwest and the Council's new board chair. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. We're excited to have you here in Washington. Um, you've just been elected board chair, and we want to hear about what your plans are as, as chair, as well as your history, your broking experience, some life lessons you may have to impart upon our listeners. Great. So we're going to we're going to dive right in. We're going to go back to 2008. Right. Which is when you became CEO of Interwest. It was also during the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. Um so tell us what did you learn from that experience that you still rely on today? Yeah, it's a great question because um I I was asked to take over as president CEO of Interwest on July 1st of 2008. And you know, that was kind of almost just in the beginnings of yeah. of the uh, kind of the downturn. Uh, fortunately for me, that that Interwest um, had had a lot of diversity in its its book of business at that point in time. You know, we were really big in uh, in the in the construction area, really big in the agri space, and then financial institutions and sport and leisure, so human services. So we were we were really we had a pretty wide portfolio, and and at that point, I mean, construction just took a, a huge dive, and, yeah. and thankfully, other areas within the organization. Um, we're a little more stable. So I was very fortunate from that standpoint. Um, but make no mistake, I mean, it, it was, there were some really trying times. And I think one of the things that we did right was that uh, got the, the leadership and the organization together and, and set a strategy and then really communicated that strategy down deep into the organization. You know, tried to, to eliminate the fear factor of everything that was going on. So people were focused on on development and, and continue to try to find new opportunities and to try to grow the business in a really difficult time, and, and which we did. But we, we set a strategy, we got buy-in, and then it was um, about communication um, and, and ongoing communication and really trying to bring a lot of transparency into the organization back um, in, in 2008. And transparency wasn't a real you know, hot buzzword back in, yeah. in that time. But I would tell you if I if I learned one thing, and we we utilize it to this day, um, and and that is is that don't exhaust a lot of time trying to make the wrong decision right. Mm-hmm. Acknowledge those those decisions, um, and then move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we we do not have the time even today to exhaust time and energy in trying to trying to right size the wrong decision. So we're really good about identifying those and then moving on from them. Um, you know, it's kind of like that, that debrief. You, you realize that something isn't working. Um, and a lot of times, I think arrogance can get in and make you kind of dive deeper and deeper. And it just creates uh, a groundswell that you can't get out from underneath at times. So we're really good about, again, identifying those decisions and moving on from them. And that's something that resonates within the InterWest organization today. So as you mentioned, you've been with InterWest mm-hmm. for a long time. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this a little bit. In today's workforce, you know, you hear about maybe having to adjust expectations for employee longevity. What do you think, should leaders be expecting that kind of longevity, someone who is going to come to your firm and stay for the long haul for their career? Or should they be thinking differently about recruiting and retaining talent? So 
real quick, my background. I coming out of college, I went to work for Chubb, and I was a commercial underwriting trainee, and I was with Chubb for a couple of years before moving uh, in January of 88 to um, an organization that then became InterWest in 1992. So I've been with InterWest going on almost 36 years. I, I always kind of joke with people that I'm a tad institutionalized. It's what I know. I've been there for a very long time. So to answer the question a little differently, and that is, is that you know, for, for the longest time, the insurance industry um, was really about hire, train, develop, uh, build wealth over time, transfer, and with strategic acquisition. Mm -hmm. So um, that's alive and well today. That's the long-term play. That's, that's an interwest. And, and you see other regional firms across the country that have that same platform. You also see it in, in some of our publicly traded national brokers still have that that same embodiment. Mm -hmm. But I'd say over the last decade or so, um, the entrance of, of you know venture capital money and private equity money uh, has has started down a different path, and that is the uh, acquire, um, create critical mass, um, and then make a turn. Mm -hmm. And so that's a short term play. It's not not nearly as long. Uh, the long term play, um, which again we talked about. Uh, is a heavy investment side. So the returns come much further down the road. Uh, so really it, it is, um, what is your vision? Um, again, what's your strategy? And then how well and how effectively can you communicate it to people? And then you need to actually do what you say you're going to do. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, that happened with me back in 1988 when I went to work for NOS is promises and commitments were made on both sides. Um, both were honored. I did what I was supposed to do uh, InterWest treated me the way that they said that they would. That's something that I continue to embody within our organization. And again, it's every decision we make is about a long-term strategy and that feeds to what our vision is. So there's, there's nothing wrong with either side of it. And, yeah. and you can, you can go down whichever path you wish to go down. Um, but once you've decided and you choose that, then, then you need to kind of go all in on those strategies and implement. So, um, the beauty of this business and the thing that I, one of the things I love most about the insurance industry is there's just a, a million different ways and different directions you can go. Okay, so your home state of California, mm -hmm. um, it's a common topic in the property market conversation, as you know. Um, there's a few issues here that I want to get into. The first one is um, a horrific circumstance. You all, your firm, um, experienced a horrific fire in your, in your area. Mm -hmm. um, in 2018, the car fire... Um, it affected your clients and employees. Right. So it was truly a kind of first responder moment for InterWest. And I just would love to hear your thoughts on what that was like. And, and you've mentioned it's still ongoing. So, Yeah, it was actually the car fire, the tubs fire, and the campfire. Um, they all trend of, kind of came about in a, in a very short timeline. And those were fires that were driven by um, what they called an El Nino wind. Mm -hmm. um, and so we had a tremendous wind event uh, and, and the fires just were devastating in terms of the scope and, and the scale that, that they, they took and that they did impact the communities in which we had offices as well as employees. So not only uh, did we out of, out of the Paradise Fire, um, that area have over 400 clients that experienced total losses. I, I can't even think of some partial losses that transpired at that point in time. We had roughly about 16 employees that lost everything other than what they came to work with that day. So the thing about events like that 
is that we had claimants knocking on our door while their homes were still on fire. I mean, wow. w- within 10 to 12 hours, we had people wanting to know, you know, what was to be done. And um, what we told our claims folks and anybody that engaged is to, we don't have answers, but just listen, be compassionate, uh, because there's an emotional component that goes well beyond the insurance component that we had to deal with. And so a lot of, um, a lot of funds were set up um, through the, through uh, Butte County and, and other areas. But the one uh, that, again, hit us the hardest was that the campfire in, in the Paradise area. And, and so what we ended up doing is we ended up uh, canceling all of our holiday events and taking all the monies that were to be allocated towards parties and whatnot and created our own internal fund and not only help our staff, but to give back to those communities which we live and work in. It's, it's part of our guiding principles. And that was a great illustration of, of how we did things. Um, what was amazing to me is we had clients in other parts of the state that knew what was going on and were reaching to us as to how they could help, whether it wow. be the, the gathering of, of coats and clothing since we're going into the winter months, just the outreach and uh, the humanitarian side of people really um, shows up at yeah. time of crisis. It, it doesn't matter where you live or where you reside. People want to try to help and extend that hand. What I would say, kind of reflecting back upon it, of our staff that that lived in the Paradise area that lost their homes, I believe uh, that only three of the 16 have returned. You know, it, it was a complete and utter displacement. It was a displacement of 25,000 people in the matter of about 24 hours. The town of Paradise, while is has kind of rebounded lightly, I mean, it, it will never, I don't think in my lifetime, it will not be even close to the same. It's, it's, it's hard to, to hear those kinds of stories. Um, do you feel like there are things that the insurance industry can be doing that they aren't or that the governments can or some sort of combination to help with <clears throat> risk mitigation in these or risk transfer in a different way? I don't think it's necessarily an insurance solution because mm-hmm. I don't know if, that there's enough money uh, for it to be an, a pure insurance solution. I think it needs to be a combination of some mitigation and best practices. I think that it is something that um, our, our uh, legislative arm in California needs to work with the insurance industry to come up with creative solutions, which we're not doing right now. Um, I think there's, there's winds of change, but it needs to happen much faster. Um, I use the example that, that some of the fires that transpire in California 30 years ago would have just been open, burnt land. Yeah. Well, today, urban sprawl and um, and you, you look at it, whether it be in Southern California, even in areas in Northern California, where development has gone up into these beautiful canyons and you have, you know, one way egress, you know, one road that goes up into a canyon and you have, you know, um, high valued homes that are built in these areas. Uh, you know, those are now areas that are at high risk. And those are the areas that are very difficult for us to place um, traditional placed insurance upon. So, you know, you have a lot of factors at play uh, and, and, you know, best practices mitigation has to be a part of it. And I know that there are, there's a lot of work being done throughout California. Uh, and, but a lot of it is being done um, from a private standpoint, not from a public mm-hmm. standpoint. And people need to take some responsibility for the areas in which they live in, and work in and, and make sure that we're um, providing the best ability to fight or, or even try to prevent the fires from occurring. Yeah, I know there are some specialized groups that 
do things like work with local fire departments and right. try to get them in there and when they but it seems like it is very small group based there is there's a lack of consistency and it is um, it's really predicated upon uh, I think the individuals whether it be individual homeowners associations mm -hmm. or um, or, or certain areas that, that need to take, again, they need to take the lead on how to mitigate and they do need to work with the governmental agencies and the fire departments and CDF and, and, uh, and trying to find the best ways to uh, minimize the impact when fires occur and early detection uh, and, and I think best practices around just prevention is, is a huge piece. Uh, and you know, there are reasons why we have markets that are putting things on hold in terms of their willingness to take on additional exposure. I mean, the literally the, the tens of billions of dollars that were um, experiencing losses in in such a short vacuum. Yeah. Um, there's there's not enough money in the system to recoup that. So there there needs to be a, it needs to be a a multi party solution. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and urban sprawl actually is is another comes up in another mm -hmm. issue that that we've talked about with you, which is water and sort of water management and um, drought that is occurring and water rights in California is one of the states where this is a big issue. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about that at, from your perspective. Um, and again, sort of what you see as the main issues, if they're different than what we just discussed, and then if there are any solutions that come up as you're, as you're right. seeing. So last time we talked, we were we were probably in the uh, in the throes of what would have been there a three year drought, yeah. and then we had one of the wettest winters on record. <laughs> right. So uh, <laughs> feast or famine, yeah. um, you know, the the water, the demand and draw on water uh, throughout California um, has to do with our our agri community, which is huge. Yep. Um, it's our industrial and 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 the you know the manufacturing side. There's a lot of use of water that. That people, I think, um, just don't even really recognize. Um, and and you you look at you know at a state with its populace, um, and then you look at where the populace is, and the majority of it is in areas that doesn't have water. Mm -hmm. um, down into Southern California, the majority of the water comes from Northern California. Uh, we're we're behind in terms of storage facilities. There's uh, the the uh, the re-advent um, of the Sites Reservoir, which should have been built 30 plus years ago. It was part of a, a multi-reservoir project. So we don't have the storage that we need to have. The water is really inconsistent in terms of how we get it. Um, you know, we're really blessed with the the winter of 22, 20, you know, 23. It was it was amazing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and the snowpack um, at some record highs. So, you know, we have a bit of relief, but I think that there just needs to be a, a much more concerted effort on um, how we use the water and not just from a domestic use standpoint, but all across the board. And, and we, we're pretty deeply involved in, in the agribusiness side. We ensure a lot of, um, a lot of farming and, uh, and ranch organizations, and they've, they've changed their practices immensely and have been doing so for quite some time in terms of how they irrigate and trying to, you know, um, less evaporation, more direct on water. Um, and so I think that that community self-governs the best it possibly can, mm -hmm. but it, it really is, um, we, we move a lot of water around the state of California yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's not always the best because, um, you know, if you take from one, there's going to be other issues that come with it to the point where we've had some new water districts pop up trying to, 
um, maintain and keep the water in, in the locations and the mm -hmm. geography in which they need it so that it doesn't get taken and shifted um, down, you know, down to Southern California. Okay, let's move away from that a little bit, um, but still in some, some maybe some difficult issues, um, thinking about the industry as a whole, right. what do you think needs to be addressed first short term, one to two years maybe, or and then in the long term, what are we looking at for real sustainability in, in whatever area of insurance you see the need? So I'm probably going to take this in a different direction than you would think. Um, we could spend, you know, a day and, and there are much brighter minds than mine relative to the insurance, um, the delivery, the, the, the coverage, the capacity, uh, the pricing that I think has forever changed. Mm -hmm. My take on it is human capital and that I think the industry does an amazing job branding within itself. I don't necessarily believe that we brand uh, our industry very well externally. Mm -hmm. You know, there's tens of millions of dollars on advertisement about our industry. And none of it, in my mind, is going to attract the best and brightest talent. Mm -hmm. That, you know, we are an industry that um, I think there's been all kinds of acronyms. The silver tsunami, we're an, an aging industry. And one of my passions and one of Interwest's passions is to get younger. Yeah. And we've been doing it for 20 years. Uh, and and it, it takes concerted, long view to it. I think that the industry needs to continue and find newer ways to attract young talent to what is an international business, which is a global business, which um, I think it is one of the best financial institution practices there is. Uh, there are so many different ways and different directions you can go and take and build your careers within it. Um, but it does not have the curb appeal um, that it should have. Now, I will tell you that almost everybody, including myself, that once they get into the industry and they're there for two to three years, wish that they'd come to it sooner. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that if we don't take um, a concerted effort to draw upon uh, good young talent early, uh, that we'll, we'll always fight an uphill battle on, on getting, um, getting talent within the, you know, within the industry. And, and by, by broadening that, it addresses, you know, the the DEI issue that we continue yeah. to talk about uh, that 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 is not going to go away, and and that you know we we talk about it in Interwest that we're looking for diversity of experience and diversity of thought beyond just the standard diversity and, and inclusive side of it, and um, in order to get that, we we need um, you know younger people that have got different backgrounds that that come um, and want to to be a part of the business. And so I, I don't think this is just a one to two year issue. This is a, a one to two, five to 10, yeah. 10 to 15 <laughs> uh, year because the industry will, is not going away. Um, and the opportunities are immense. Uh, and, you know, as an example, um, you know, the council was really helpful as well as some of the council members in helping Interwest establish our internship program. Mm -hmm. uh, that is a, a good example of it. But what I find interesting is that I meet with, our internship group about four weeks in every year. It's my favorite meeting of the year is to meet with these interns. And I, I ask them the question individually, um, you know, I want to know about their background, but I want to know why they applied for the internship program at Interwest. And then what, what have they learned or what has surprised them about it? And, you know, it's interesting that the, the answers you get, but the most consistent one is that they had no idea 
once they're there, what InterWest really did, what the industry was about. And our, our internship program is a very hands-on. They do a lot of different things, they experience everything that we do as an organization. And, and that I think the, the breadth and scope of what we do is what catches um, them off guard or what is their surprise moment. And inevitably, um, I would say that probably 80, 90% of them want to stay with InterWest or want to stay within the industry once they've come through that program. So, you know, that to me is just a, a, a small example of how um, we need to really kind of broaden the way that we look and approach and, and where we look for new talent in the, or, in, in the industry itself. To me, I think that is um, without the influx of, of young talent in the organization, um, we are in troubled waters. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's really no shortage of learning. In, in, if, 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 if young interns are excited about discovering the breadth of what you're doing, it's, I find that, too, in, in working at Leader's Edge, there's just no shortage of something new to learn about. So I think that's a good selling point. <laughs> no, I, I, you're absolutely right. It, I mean, you know, going closing in on close to 40 years in the business, I mean, I, I mean I'm experiencing new things constantly. And, you know, it's it, to me is what's exciting about it. It's what continues to keep me energized uh, as a part of, of our, our organization, um, and, you know, as well as even being involved with, with the council, which has just been tremendously impactful for our organization. And, um, you know, I preach loud and clear that I don't, I don't care where the next great idea comes from. I just want to know about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and from there, where do we go with that? And, and I think that's a big part of, of diversity is those new ideas and those new thoughts. Um, you know, and I, I, that to me is where I, I grab inspiration is from those new out-of-the-box ideas that, that we can possibly manipulate or act upon. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, two more questions for you. First one is, as board chair, mm -hmm. um, you're just starting your tenure. Is there anything specific that you're focused on? Well, first, let me say that um, even to be considered as as uh, board chair for the council was quite an honor. And I, I look at the people that, you know, I've kind of watched over the last four to five years serve in this role. And I'm always amazed at um, the vision and, and kind of thoughtfulness that they have. So um, my my goal is to continue on that and, and um, obviously just... Um, continue with with the focus on what the council is uh, to me you know the council is very widely known for some of its its deep pillars you know the advocacy piece and and the strategic meetings that it holds but I look at at the council and I look at the breadth of its offerings and, and how how it's changed over the last 10 years the 10 years I've been on the board and been involved and I watched the the development of our academy and and the the uh, alignment with with universities relative to insurance related mm -hmm. um, degrees and, and promoting the business, uh, the working groups and the, and the depth and, and the knowledge that you can gain from those. And then I look at the membership as a whole. And I think that the council maybe reaches deep about 30% of its membership yeah. relative to the utilization of those programs. Um, the, the council is is an um, amazing resource for its membership. And if I were to, if I could have a magic wand and change one thing, it would be driving the resources and tools and the deliverables that the council brings, you know, talk to them about the academy, you know, get involved in those. And, 
you know, InterWest is a high utilization organization of everything the council does, and we're far better for it. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's kind of what um, would be something I would like to try and help is is drive the message deeper into its membership, um, because it's just the the level and the quality of the programs and the knowledge base that resides at the council can help any firm, regardless of the scale um, that they have. I think that's a great point and something that the council also feels strongly about. So mm -hmm. I think you'll be in in the right focus. Yeah, hope so. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. That's, yeah. you know, um, yeah. If not, they'll, they'll kick you out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. All right. One last question for you. A little bit more fun. Um, besides insurance, what are you passionate about? Okay, this is going to sound really cliche, but um, my wife, Shelly, is my best friend. No. So we, uh, we share an immense passion of the outdoors. And um, so spending time with, with her and our friends, um, whether it be, you know, snow skiing, uh, we, we helicopter ski, we, we backcountry ski, um, we hike, we backpack, we, we spend time on our boat and, and, and uh, in the summer times and we surf and we foil and just being outdoors and engaging um, with again friends and family, you know, all of our children have kind of followed in that those footsteps that they just they love the outdoors, um, you know. So my passion really rely, resides around um, getting in areas that are quiet and and being with people that I enjoy time with, and and that to me is um, that defines me. What I tell people often is that InterWest in the insurance industry doesn't define who Keith. Schuler is that that's not who and what I am it's what I do um, but it's the passion around um, the other things that this that that the insurance industry has afforded me to do you know and that that is uh, the adage that Shelly and I live by is how old would you be if you didn't know how old you were I love that well Keith I hope that Shelly is going to listen to this because that was an amazingly heartfelt answer that you gave so uh, I see your passion yeah. and it's Awesome. So thank you. This has been such a pleasure. Yeah. That was Keith Schuler, CEO of InterWest and the council's new board chair. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. For more Leaders Edge podcasts, go to leadersedge.com. Mm -hmm.